Hello, this is Bruce Brown. Welcome to our Proactive Coaching Podcast Series. Our guest today is a special one in my life. Her name is Carrie Kozderka Farrell. She is, I first met her as Coach Koz when she was coaching uh, collegiate softball. And uh, I heard her speak several times at a, at a clinic and just was uh, very intrigued with her speaking style and her knowledge and her energy. And now she has uh, changed careers and she's a licensed mental health counselor. Something that's really an essential thing for coaches to be thinking about these days, as parents to be thinking about these days, for kids to be thinking about these days. So, Carrie, welcome to our show. Well, I'm excited to finally get to do something with you instead of just speaking in different rooms. So <laughs> it's it's awesome to get to talk to your audience and um, kind of melt uh, both of our experiences together to help uh, this new generation of student athletes. So, why did you make this change? Um, it actually came while I was still coaching and uh, at Concordia, and I was I was uh, the assistant AD over student welfare and development, and the kids uh, just kept coming to my office. And at first, I thought it was because I always had snacks and the comfortable couches, and they would come and kind of complain about, "Hey, I don't like coach," or "I'm homesick." But then I realized the things just you know the issue started increasing, and it went to, from you know I'm homesick to I'm cutting, I you know I'm drinking to the point of you know, blackout drunk, I, I'm worried I'm bipolar, I'm suicidal. And so I actually went to my athletic director who was very uh, pro student athlete, was always willing to do whatever they needed. And I said, I need to go back to school. Um, I said, they won't go to the counseling center, but they will come to my office. And the same conversation I keep having with, with ADs and coaches and um, even people that work with, with FCA and, and athletes themselves is they want to talk to somebody that understands the world of sport. It's, it's, a, it's a totally different language. And Bruce, you've been working with athletes your whole life. So I know when you start talking to an athlete, it's a different conversation than when we're talking to somebody that hasn't had that experience. And so I wanted to be able to do the mental health side um, instead of the performance side because that's what was really impacting uh, their performance and their overall well-being and if they were going to transfer or even if they were going to walk away from sport. And so um, I did a private practice and did kind of the regular um, clientele. I worked with a lot of kids and teenagers, especially through the pandemic, just trying to hold people together. And then um, as this big wave of athletics and mental health issues have come, we decided it's it's all athletes, um, and specifically collegiate athletes. Now, I work with pro, pro athletes and club kids and younger kids, but our big focus is student athletes because they kind of carry this weight that's very unique in the world of sports. So that's kind of how we got here. Okay, so and I think what you was something you said about being a coach and having athletes understand that you're a coach. I mean, you there's a kind of an immediate credibility and trust level that kind of comes with that rather than dealing with somebody maybe that's outside of sport and maybe really doesn't understand the whole arena. So is this something new, all these mental health issues that we're hearing about? Something new or is it, has it been around for a long time and now just kind of been acknowledged? <laughs> to be honest, I think it's kind of become this perfect storm of, of things. You know, I think back to when I was an athlete, which was more, you know, 20 years ago playing Division One athletics, and I was an anxious kid because I was the perfectionist and the people pleaser and the things we hear from student athletes now all the time, right? Time management, um, you know, kind of those core root of things. But it was interesting, that even some of the conversations I had with coaches and ADs today, we have not really set our athletes up for success, and now society is pouring more things on to them that they don't really know how to handle. So I was actually sitting with a, a group of uh, student leaders a couple weeks ago, and I said to them, I don't think uh, parents and coaches have set you up for success because we've almost sheltered our kids so much. We never want them to hurt or deal with struggle, and so when they do face it, they kind of fall apart. 
And, you know, when we look at what's going on in the world today, there is way more struggle for them to endure and they don't have the skill set. So that anxiety, the depression, um, you know, the social media, I, I always laugh. Like when I was done with the game and Bruce is probably the same thing. You just called your parent and told, told them how you did, you know, in college, <laughs> that's what I did. And now, you know, when I, towards the end of uh, coaching at, in college, people would say, well, what happened in the third inning? I'm like, how do you even know what happened in the third inning? Because they're always watching between live stats or everything is streaming. So these kids are constantly being watched without a skill set. And they're also always have, you know, they're, they're having heavier things that are going on. You know, I was talking to two clients. They both just happened to go to the same college and they were in a building next to a, a professor that a live shooter came in and shot them, shot the professor. You know, those things weren't happening to the degree that they are now. Right. And so these kids are dealing with a lot of trauma and they don't know how to deal with the distress. And so, like I say, it's the perfect storm. Then you throw NLI on and transfer portals and, and, you know, all the money and exposure that goes on to it. It's a lot to ask a kid that developmentally isn't ready to handle those things. And so I think right now we are just in that, as I say, kind of that tsunami and we're trying to put skills into the hands of athletes and coaches to help them through this. And that's really where, why we started this business is how do we help as many kids as quickly as we can, because there's 500,000 just college athletes at any given time. And how do we help them with a, a counselor that has an understanding about sports in this kind of major uh, epidemic of mental health? And so that's kind of where we even started this, because just in college athletics alone, suicide rate went up 300% last year. And when I say that to student athletes, especially to be honest, the male student athletes that don't really like to share their feelings, they all almost gasped. And I say in a lot of those kids, their story was they always seemed like they had it all together. Mm-hmm. And this is what has happened. So that's one of the conversations I have with student athletes uh, quite a bit. I actually was having that with a, with a volleyball player last night of, do you feel like you always have to have it all together? And she goes, I'm really working on that. She goes, but yes, most of the time that perfectionism comes in. So, so we do talk a lot about perfection being a lie and that they can't, you know, it's an impossibility. Now getting that stuck in their heads permanently, that's a bigger task. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what other issues? I mean, perfectionism is something we face. Yeah. You face with kids, really young kids. Uh, you know, I have, I have a grandchild who is a perfectionist and it's they're they're fun to coach and work with, but they're so hard on themselves. But anyway, what are what are some of the biggest issues that you're facing uh, with athletes that you're working with, you know, that's impacting their mental wellness? You know, whenever I ask people what are they seeing in their athletes, anxiety is definitely the biggest thing. Anxiety, the worry, the fear of failure, the expectations, don't want to disappoint, the guilt, all those things that come into things. Even even down to things of I feel guilty that I'm injured because I, I, I don't want to be at practice because I need to be studying. You know, things that I was like, holy smokes, we've gotten to those extreme emotions just because you need to be studying. But they do. They feel that pressure of you need to be perfect. You need to be here. And the constant worry of, am I good enough? I mean, I, I've worked with a professional athlete, um, and we were talking about identity. And identity is a massive thing with student-athletes because so much of who they see themselves as is a student-athlete, right? And so she's like, if I walk away from golf, I don't even know if I like who I am. And I just sat there and looked at her and go, okay, we need to backtrack this. And we talked about all the things. I'm like, who are you? Who are all the things that make you up outside of golf? And so that's one of the things we try to imprint on our clients and on our students young, even, you know, even at like your grandson's age of you are more than your sport because it gets so consuming. Right. And without it, they feel like a failure. They feel like they can't, you know, go on. The other thing, too, is time management. 
a lot of these kids get so overwhelmed. I hear the word overwhelmed a hundred times a day, especially when you go into a college that has uh, elite athletics and elite academics. You know, I was at a school that literally two of the basketball players are studying to be rocket scientists. They live 45 minutes away from NASA and they play in the number one D2 conference in the country. Right. So the expectations and time management is something that it just kind of gobbles them up. And that's probably one of the biggest things. The other things, too, that we are running into is with the depression, um, the depression side of it. And one of the the key buzzwords that you hear in in education right now is a thing called ACEs. So adverse childhood experiences. And so a lot of these kids just said, oh, that's no big deal. But when they sit and talk about things with me, I'm like, "Okay, that was a big deal. You were abused growing up or your parent abandoned you, or, you know, a million things that could happen in their lifetime that as athletes and as that kind of personality of being an athlete, they just say, toughen up and I'm going to move forward. And so that's one of the biggest obstacles we actually run into with student athletes is they almost don't have a vocabulary for feelings. It's kind of interesting. Half the time, I just want to give them the feeling sheet and say point, right? And I actually got trained in sand tray therapy. I did when I was at Columbia River High School, I actually did it for my whole team. And it was 26 little characters in the sand. And it was amazing because it finally let them put a 3D figure to what was going on in their life. And everybody starts crying. And, and my, my assistant coach, who was, uh, he didn't, you know, he was like kind of new to the mental health thing. And he goes, holy smokes, I can't believe that all just happened. So anytime we had a team issue, he goes, get the sand out. I'm like, okay, not everything is going to be, you know, solved by that. But it let kids identify where, what their roles with the team, how they were feeling, because they verbally struggled to have that. Especially coming out of the pandemic, I think a lot of kids struggled to have conversations in the first place, and then we put them away for two years, right? And on top of it, these kids have conversations via text all the time, and they say things that they would never say to each other in person. And I've said that to a kid. I go, would you ever say that to your friend in person? Well, no. And I'm like, okay, we need to learn how to have proper conversations. We need to have conversations with people that are of authority, you know, but they're so terrified of that. So they just pull away from everybody. And so that lack of community is a huge thing as well. So the isolation is also leading to depression. So we have this trauma and we have this isolation on top of all these expectations and worry. And so these kids are just kind of this mess of continual anxiety and depression. And when we talk about coping skills and we, they don't have a lot of them, their, their solution is I'm just going to end the pain by ending my life. And I always tell kids, okay, Suicide is a permanent solution to a short-term problem. But they, and they don't, you know, people, and this is the myth, people that are suicidal do not want to die. They want the pain to end. And that's the thing is these kids don't have a lot of tools to manage that. So they think, I'm just going to end it and things will be better. And they don't think about the fallout or that it is a permanent solution. And a lot of these kids too, and, and, and this is something I know, Bruce, you can chime in as these kids that are these leadership roles, it can be very lonely in leadership. And so a lot of them, they're trying to hold everything together and look flawless and they can only be on the pedestal for so long. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of the things we work with leadership leaders about is about how to do it, how to do it in a way that's, that's not stressful. It just allows you to use your own personality. Let's shift gears a little bit here because we have, um, we probably have more coaches following us than anything else. I know we have a lot of parents and maybe sometime along the line we can, do this uh, same kind of interview, but have it directed toward parents. But I want to shift the focus to coaches. Yeah. And I want to shift the co- uh, focus to how coaches can be proactive with this. So what's the biggest, what are some of the biggest obstacles for coaches uh, when they're trying to manage these mental health issues with their kids? Well, and I th- it's interesting. 
interesting, um, you know, being friends, so, uh, close friends with a lot of coaches because, as I say, most of my world was coaching. So, you know, I talked to them about kind of the current state um, of what it looks like. And so much of it is they're afraid if they say the wrong thing, a parent's going to be upset. They're going to lose their job. It's going to end up in the AD's office. So there's that very, like, what should I say? Should I, you know, say something at all? What if I'm wrong? So I think there's a lot of walking on eggshells and not knowing what to say, right? And so, and a lot of times we're not paying attention to what's going on in our kids' lives or we notice things and then don't say anything. And so um, I, I've spent a lot of time at the College of Idaho and, and one of my dear friends is Al Mendiola and his wife Liz and they both coach their one coaches volleyball and one coaches softball. And, you know, Al, uh, when I first met him, he was like a tough baseball exterior and now I'm like, he's like the biggest teddy bear ever. But, you know, we were talking about things to identify, and now he is very alert of, okay, I see this in this kid, you know, the communication changes. It could be, they seem tired more often. They are more aloof at practice. You know, even their, their performance changes, they could be eating differently. So if anything comes up on the radar and you're like, okay, that is very different in my kid's behavior or reaction, you might want to just stop and say, Hey kid, I'm just checking in on you to make sure things are okay. Mm-hmm. And lots of times uh, kids think if they're going to, you know, don't tell coach, And the important thing for coaches is from the get-go is start an environment that allows kids to feel okay coming towards you and saying, hey, I got – I'm struggling with this coach. Because I've had kids that don't want to tell me because they think it's going to impact their playing time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I had a kid that was like, well, if I tell you that my – that pitch isn't working, you're going to pull me. I go, actually, if you tell me, we'll work within what's going on. If you don't tell me, I just have to adjust to what I see. And so that's why coaches – it kind of lays on you right now to kind of open the door and make it that safe environment and say, Hey guys, nothing you're going to tell me is going to impact how, you know, what playing time looks like, you know, as far as mental health. Now, if they're breaking rules and stuff, that's a different kind of animal. But so when we go and communicate with both our coaches and players, it's how do we create an environment that coach feels okay asking the question and kid feels okay answering it. And we don't expect coaches to know everything. You get you, think, you don't have a master's degree in counseling. You guys have a million other things to worry about. But it's just being able to ask the question of saying, hey, I'm noticing that this has changed in you, or I'm concerned, right? And if they open up, great. If they don't, just keep a watchful eye. And Or you might find somebody else, like you might have an assistant coach that connects with them better. Go and talk to that coach and say, hey, could you check in with so-and-so? Because I know some kids love to come to me when I coach and some of them love my assistant. And I always said, I don't care who they're coming to as long as they're talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and I know not everybody has this luxury of, hey, you have crisis teams on campus and everything. Some of you are you know, high school and club coaches, but it might be talking to a teacher that you know they're close to or talking to somebody on campus. So there's just a couple more eyes on a kiddo instead of just a coach because they're watching everybody, right? You have a football team and you're managing a hundred kids. That's a lot to take in. Right. And so their whole staff needs to be watchful. The whole staff needs to be opening to listening. And as, as a kid comes to some with you, to you with something that's too much refer once again, you are not, expected to be their counselor and so so much of us even is hey what resources do you have i met with a a university today and and it was awesome because they want to have as many resources as possible whether it's hey we want people to come in and train uh, train our coaches or our student athletes we want to have counselors that we can refer them to we want online services just so they can meet the kids where they're at 
So when it comes to um, like the extreme of like, let's, let's just jump to suicide. I mean, there's nothing more extreme than that. I'm very black and white with that. So if you, if a coach ever feels that that could be something like if they start hearing a, a kiddo say, Hey, I'm not worth anything. You guys would be better off if I wasn't here. You know, I, you know, I just want to be done. I can't handle it anymore. One of the other indicators is um, there was actually a student athlete uh, down in, in uh, played in, in Southern Oregon school and he started giving his possessions away. And that was a big indicator. And he actually did commit suicide shortly after. So if you ever have that worry of you're saying things that are making me question, you need to go to that student athlete and say, I'm concerned about some of the things you're saying and just very specifically ask them, are you thinking of killing yourself? And I know that's a really overwhelming thing to do. And it seems like you're going to upset them. I've had to do it several times and no student athlete was ever upset with me. I think there was a sense of relief because somebody was paying attention and it opens the door for them to talk about what's going on. And usually when they're to that point, there's not a lot of hesitation of let's get you help. Usually they're like, yes, let's do that. One of the things that they do worry about is if I go to the hospital, am I going to be put into, you know, a loony bin? That's what they think. I'm like, guys, what, what you, when you go to the hospital, what that means is that you actually are probably going to be fast-tracked to help with services, right? But the thing is, too, is when you are a coach and you're worried about suicide, uh, suicidal ideation, the follow-up questions are, do you have a plan? Do you have means? Like, do you have a way of, of, of acting or finishing this out? If they say, no, I don't have any of those things, it's like, okay, uh, let's, you know, let's get you to some professional help. Let's get you to a counselor, and let's talk to your parents, Right. Because if they say, yes, I, you know, I have a plan and I have means you need to get to them to the emergency room. So I had a student athlete or actually a student athlete, a middle school student athlete. And I was told she has a plan that she's going to kill herself on spring break. Right. And so I literally walked in and said, talk to me about your plan and what's going to happen. And she was happy to talk about it. I think she was relieved Mm -hmm. and she did not go through it. She's actually a junior playing high school uh, volleyball and doing great. But it was just a matter of somebody asking her the question and her saying, yep, I need help and I'm going to go through the process of getting it. And that was a huge thing. And as I say, I don't have a lot of um, pushback when we get to the point of, I need, you know, are you you feeling you're going to kill yourself? So that's another thing. Be direct. And if it costs you your job, you save the kid a life. Right. Right. I don't think it will ever cost anybody a job. Right. And I do the same messaging with our leaders is, hey. Would you, you know, they're like, well, my friend told me not to tell anybody. I go, would you rather your friend be upset with you or dead? And usually when I have that conf, uh, conversation, I get phone calls. My, my, my actual <laughs> nephew called me two days later and said, I need to talk to you about my girlfriend. And he got her gasoline. So that's the thing is, is they're so afraid of upsetting people, but this is a matter of keeping them alive. So sometimes we just got to be bold. You know, Carrie, one of the things we talk to coaches about a lot is how to establish trust, how to develop trust between yourself and an adolescent, between your athletes and coaches and coaches to athletes and, and the importance of trust in, on teams and the importance of trust on winning. But you know what? The trust really factors into this. You know, yes. you, you talk about a kid willing to come to you or you're reading some things and you ask and, and they then they open up to you. But another thing that I found, and I, I think any coach who, who coaches for any length of time is going to be faced with suicides. Uh-huh. Uh, it's going to be faced with all kinds of different things. But yes. uh, I've gone through uh, a number of those incidents, incidences. And, and the one that sticks out in my mind the most is, is after I was done coaching a player and he was playing on an on a, on a upper level, on a higher level, 
uh, team, two of his teammates came to me and said, Coach, I'm afraid he's in trouble and I'm afraid he's suicidal. And that, that took a lot of trust, you know, all in every single direction. So, you know, what do coaches or how do coaches impact the wellness? I mean, what are some of the things that happens there with a coach that really can impact the mental wellness of their kids? Um, so much of it is the culture of their programs. You know, when I go in and do trainings with coaches, we talk about mental health issues. You know, we there's like five major ones we talk about. But honestly, the last page of our booklet talks about team cultures and having a culture that they feel like, yes, I can go communicate with coach. I, I asked the kiddo the other day because he had just got injured and it seemed injury is the hot topic right now. There's a lot of kids there. You know, they're in the middle of fall season, a lot of ACLs and just ankles and stuff. And I said, well, and he was worried about losing his spot. And I said, well, you know, have you talked to coach? And he go, I said, or is coach somebody that you think will kind of like write you off? And I know their coach. I knew I, I knew the answer before I asked it. But he goes, I don't think coach would write anybody off. And I was like, well, then that's awesome. So you know it's safe to walk in that door and have that conversation. And he goes, yeah, I was actually planning on talking to him tomorrow, right? And so one of the biggest things with a lot of these mental health issues is they want, they need to believe that their coach is not going to treat them differently or, you know, um, uh, kind of push them aside if they come forward. Yeah, they need or, to or know penalize them in any way. And penalize, right? Because yeah. a lot of people are like, well, if I tell them I'm depressed, and I'm like, okay, but, you know, you also need to be upfront with your coach, and the coach needs to say, okay, this is something you're struggling with. How do we manage it and help you perform the best you can, right? And I know, as I say, dealing with coaching injuries or mental health stuff, sometimes we're not the best at it because we are about how do we win to get to performance. But the, And then one of the main reasons I did start this job is so many of the kids – were struggling with stuff and that was impacting their performance, right? And so being a winner is a holistic thing, right? All the teams that I really admire, they are holistic programs when it comes to, you know, health and wellness, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to even faith, like they are holistic teams and they keep winning. And I joke with some of my coaches, I'm like coaching friends, I'm like, why have all these other coaches not picked up on this? That a holistic program is going to lead to greater success. And that includes Hey, it's okay if you're struggling. I want to be here because we are their third parent or their second parent or sometimes their first parent. And so we need to be the calm in the storm. It's only going to lead to wellness for them and better success for the program. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you said something earlier about um, the different approaches that coaches take. And, and we deal with a lot of coaches. And, and some, sometimes and when you, even when you just bring up the topic of mental wellness, you know, some people immediately go, oh, my gosh, I'm so scared that I'm going to say the wrong thing. And they measure their words and they don't really coach as aggressively as they normally would. And then you've got the other extreme that says, hey, they're just soft kids. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go right at them like I always have. Yeah. And, 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 you know, both those extremes are, are not I don't think are really good for kids. A hundred percent. And I think that's where. Everything has gone awry, and one of the biggest problems with mental health is there's not a lot of balance. There's not balance in parenting or coaching or teaching or just basic life, right? We kind of live everything in extremes. And somebody kind of talked to me about, like, the pendulum swinging, and we always go back and forth to the, the extremes. We never just settle in the middle. And so coaches, that's what they need to find is what does the middle look like, and I think that's kind of what modern coaching is looking like. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think back to when I was playing, yeah, if you got yelled at, that was just kind of the deal. But now, yeah, coaches, I, I actually said to a coach, I go, you got you, you to gotta match the kid with your personality. I said, you're a winner and you love your kids, but she's so terrified that she's like babying them. 
right? right? And I go, that's not what brought you to success. And so a lot of it is the open communication with their kids, right? And knowing that you are there to serve the best for your kids. And sometimes things don't go well and you can't control a lot of that. We can't control how parents react to us all the time. You know, you could be a perfect coach and you're going to be making somebody mad, right? I said that to my daughter this year. She's 14. I go, I used to piss somebody off every day. And she goes, mom, why did you choose to do that? I go, I wrote a lineup. (laughs) And she goes, got it, right? (laughs) And I remember my very first time of speaking, actually, and you got, you know, you get the little feedback and it says how you did. And the person that was overseeing it, they go, hey, remember, 10% thinks you're brilliant. 10% thinks you're garbage. Listen to the 80. And I think about that every day. Right. And coaches need to be in the same place of you cannot do everything perfect and you are not horrible. You need to be somewhere in the middle. And that's where the kids need to be with you. Right. Yeah, yeah, hey, we're going to do the best we can. And sometimes that means that we have three torn ACLs and we're doing the best we can. And it may be fourth place is the best we can this year. That person that and, gave you that advice was probably the great Jim Meyerhoff. <laughs> Actually, who was it? I'm trying to think of who it was. I'm sure it was Jim Meyerhoff at the WIA when oh, he was yes, with that it coaches was. School, It yeah. was Jim, yes, because I remember, and I, it's funny because now I give that to my interns, you know, and, and, you know, teaching them to go speak, and they're like, no, I go, guys, <laughs> this is the philosophy, and it's the truest thing, and it got me through coaching, right? right? Because I was going to be amazing and horrible all on the same day, right? just to different people. And the thing is, is I hope people get into coaching because they want what's best for their, their athletes. And they want them to be able to serve them and, and let sport be such a great education. And that's one of the things I really try to hit with the kids is, guys, you are going to gain so much from being an athlete. That has nothing to do with playing time and awards and honors. It's being an athlete. You know, I was an injured athlete, didn't get to play half my college career. And I still gained so much from my four years at Utah that the All-Americans, they got the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And we get lost in the trophies and the awards and money and the scholarships instead of what am I really gaining from this experience? And that's how coaches need to look at it is how am I going to teach them to be the best version of them, right? And sometimes you have to have hard conversations. So my, my daughter, she's actually um, a senior, and, and uh, she goes, I thought good uh, marriage because actually, as I say, she's our plus child. She did not grow up with us. She joined her family at 16, and she goes, I thought good relationships meant never having to have the hard conversation. And I said, yeah, honey, that's not what it means. Mm-hmm. I said it means that there's the space to have the hard conversation. That's, that's right. what it means. That there's enough trust that you can. Exactly. And that's what coaches need to, to, to give. Uh, you know, I always say I show my love through uh, decorating and sarcasm. So my kids' rooms are always decorated over the top, and I'm very sarcastic. Um, but I always say I know I can be sarcastic with people that trust me, right? Right. And so you need to, you know, you need to be able to have those conversations and, you know, give your, your players a hard time because they know when the fire comes, you're going to be the first one to pull them out. So along that same line, what is important for coaches to be able to identify in their athletes uh, to be able to help get the support that they need when it's needed? Yeah, one of the biggest things is so much of it is their body language, right? And uh, Scott Santella, I remember listening to him present one time, and he was talking like over 75% of our communication is body language. I think athletes, it's like 99% sometimes because so much of what they do is all kinetic, right? So if I see a kid that plays second base for me and she's like all over the place, you know, most of the time, and she's kind of sitting back, you know, and if she does that even for a day, I might go, hey, I'm just checking in on you. And it might be, dude, I did really horrible on my chemistry test, right? Or if it's a couple of days, I'll be like, okay, so you, you know, your typical self is 
kind of disappeared. What's going on? Or if a kid that is really calm and chill about things starts overreacting, right? You might go, what's going on? And it could be, my parents are getting divorced. I just found out, right? So when you see big changes in behavior, it's probably time to start, you know, asking some questions. The other two big things, you know, that we see in, in student athletes is changes in even like they're eating, you know, things like, um, well, in softball, our snack bags are bigger than our gear bags. So if kids don't have snacks, I start to worry because they like live off that. Right. And so, you know, if kids stop eating, if they start going to the bathroom right after meals all the time, those are behaviors I'm going to start going, huh, what's going on? You know, if somebody's wearing long sleeves and you're playing, uh, in the desert of Arizona, I'm going to start questioning that. Why? Cause they could be cutting. Right. And so if their behavior seems like it's out of sort with normal behaviors or their verbalization and things they're saying seems different, that should be the red flag of, hey, I need to go check that out. It's one of the things we talk about when we're working with leadership kids on on teams, especially at the high school and especially at the college level, uh, to get really good at what we call check ins. Yes. You know, to, to watch for those things that are kind of sending off a little bit of a red flag, even if you don't think it's very much. It's always worth a check in. Hey, is yes. everything okay? And just just that by itself is kind of enough of a care thing to open the conversation. Well, I always tell I, I tell every uh, player this, but I really feel that all leaders should be able to. And coaches, you're the same. This is definitely a coach thing. Is is you should be able to have a thirty minute conversation with any one of your athletes and not feel like you are running out of things to talk about. Like you should know enough about them, even kids that you go, I have no idea what their situation is, right? Or I don't know what they're interested in. Um, We used to have our players date each other at River, and they would come back, and I'm like, so tell me about your person. You know, well, she likes this color and all these very surfacey things. I'm like, no, I want to know, are they an only child? You know, what do their parents do? Like all the factors that make them up to be them, coaches need to know that stuff about their kids. Yeah. Because one kid that's acting out, it could be that, yeah, my uncle, uh, I mean, I had a kid last year, the same situation. Well, his uncle's raising him as his dad has, you know, sees him sometimes and mom's in jail. That's going to impact how he behaves a lot. And it was important for us to know that because we interacted with him in a different way. Yeah. Right. And he did a different support than a kid that, you know, has mom and dad picking them up and dropping them off and everything's pretty, you know, traditional. So those are the things that, you know, just to be aware of. And um, I always say, trust your gut. If you think something is wrong, it's never going to end poorly if you just check in. Like you said, just check in. Right. So let's let's end with something here, what coaches can do to prevent this. Now, you know what? I think as a coach, you have to, you, you can't, there are going to be things that you are unable to prevent. And, yes. and I think that you need to understand that when you go into a profession as a teacher or as a coach, that... You know, there are some things, no matter how much you care, no matter how much you love your players or, or your students, there are some things that you cannot prevent. But yes. how, how can coaches help in preventing on mental health issues? Um, yeah, it's interesting you say that the not preventing. You know, my very first question in grad school um, was, how do you reverse parent a 23-year-old? Because um, I had a 23-year-old amazing athlete that came from the worst story I think I've ever heard. And he goes, that's the eternal question, right? And I think as, as coaches, we try to do that. We try to solve everything and make everything okay in their life, and we can't do that, right? I would say two things, most important things. Show them that you care about them and model good, like, good behavior, good traditions, 
good examples, right? You know, that's, they are watching all of us all the time as coaches. So, you know, you see that with parents, if a kid's, if a parent swears all the time, kids going to swear all the time, right? If they, if a coach does certain things, the kid's going to follow suit. And I used to think I had a kid that I thought was never paying attention. I was always like, this kid is never paying attention to our culture or system. And I actually was out at a game. Um, her mom coached high school and she was actually made a comment. She goes, that is not what Concordia softball is about. And I looked at her, I go, you were paying attention. She goes, of course I was. Right. <laughs> and so that's the thing. I was like, oh, there is hope to every student athlete. Um, but that's the thing is they're watching us and we can be their best model. Because it may not be coming from home, it may not be coming from school, but that's something that we can really give to them and just let them know that we care about them. You know, and I think the care thing, uh, something you said earlier and that, that we both agree on completely is every athlete, every student has a story mm-hmm. and, and we need to learn it. You yep. take the time to learn it. And, and if you've got a large team, I mind, for example, working with a Division One football team right now with over 100 players, then we say, do that within your position group meetings. So your small group, learn their story. You know, you now you only got 12 kids. You don't have to learn 110 stories. You've got 12 or you got 20 kids in your position meeting. Learn their story because the story, their story is going to give you a good indication of why their behavior is that way. It's easy to see the behavior, but you've yes. got to find the cause of the behavior. And I think, you know, just as far as prevention is concerned, um, I, I think that's one of the key things. I, I know, Carrie, I, I have something that's still really haunts me is I, I moved jobs one time. I changed, went from one high school. I left a high school one time and there was, it was really good reason for doing it, good professional reasons for doing it and everything. And, and but I was leaving one of them, my favorite group of kids who were sophomores and juniors. That was really, really hard. And the year after I left, one of the kids who was a junior in his senior year committed suicide. And, and I still do this day and, and it was a it was it's schizophrenia and it was a lot of stuff that I wasn't aware of that I should have been aware of. Uh, but even to this day, my thought goes back to if I would have been there, maybe that wouldn't have happened, you know, and that's still an emotional hot button for me. And but there are some things that you just can't control. And I, but, but every, if, we, if we're able to do everything we possibly can ahead of time that you've shared with us today. At least it gives us a better chance. Well, and that's and that's how you know people always ask me how I do my job, and I was one of those coaches that was the constant checker in her, right? I was the mama bear, probably to the extreme, because you know, especially with my injured athletes, because I was one, and it's a really hard way to do athletics, and and that's the thing is, is I have to realize I pour everything I I have into my my the athletes when I'm training them, the coaches, my clients, as much as I can. And when I walk away, it was my job to help them fight for themselves. Right. And that is the goal. And I can't control what they choose to do when they walk up the off, out of the office. And I think coaches right now are so worn down because they worry every time their kids leave them what's going to happen. But if they do the best by their kids, that's what they have control over, right? Exactly. And we have to let them go. And that's hard sometimes because we do just want to keep them safe. But they, you know, even though they wish they could control us, <laughs> I would say, wouldn't it be awesome if you could control a coach? And they always say, yes, that'd be great. I said, we can't control them either. And I always thought if I could just control 20, 20 year old girls, we would win all the time. Well, that is a lie, right? And actually, when I taught them as much as I could and let go of the reins, they actually played the best that they had in my career. So sometimes letting go of that control after you teach them the right things, you'll see amazing things out of them. Absolutely. Well, Coach Cause, it's been great 
listening to you today and listening to your what you're doing for kids at, at training the complete athlete. Um, I just can't praise you enough for what you're doing. I know as a coach, you changed and impacted you know hundreds and hundreds of lives, but I, I can't even imagine the impact and the ripple effect that you're having uh, working in this particular arena right now. So we're, as always, I'm proud of you and I'm thankful to have you in our, in our life and thankful for what you're doing for the profession and for the kids in this profession. Well, Bruce, thank you for always being such a support. You know, as I say, when I was just this little kid deciding I was going to get into the speaking world, you were just like, okay, kid, this is what you need to do. And you've always stood by me and I greatly appreciate that. All right, Carrie. Well, I appreciate you. Okay. I'll talk to you later, my friend. Bye-bye.